0: Spectacular job, as always, Misty and the choir. Today I actually have some people here, too. My uh, sister, Doreen, I have three elder sisters, and she's the middle one. She is here today because it's her birthday. Happy birthday, sis. She is uh, celebrating the 28th anniversary of her 29th birthday. (laughs) Her friend Megan is here, too. It's great to see you. Welcome. And I've got another special guest here. Uh, Carrie Bob is here. Carrie and I have known each other since sixth grade. And then I left Oregon and came back. We knew each other in high school. And then I left Oregon and I came back and we've been uh, fast friends ever since. And uh, she felt compelled to come today. Uh, She is one of my greatest friends. So thanks, Carrie, for being here. Several months ago, uh, Brett was preaching and I was listening. It's true, I was listening. And uh, he made a passing comment that just really struck me. He said... He used the term power restrained. Power restrained. You know, I, I thought about that. Thought, what a great comment. And for months, I chewed on power restrained. What does that mean, power restrained? And as I was thinking about it, I realized that, you know, we have a lot of power. We have power with our, our mouth. We say stuff, right? We have power with our actions. We have power with our thoughts. And unfortunately, sometimes we use that power inappropriately, don't we? Sometimes we use that power in a way that needs to be restrained. And that's hard, right? Am I the only one? No, Mark's over there, so good. Thanks, Mark. As I thought about it, I thought about Luke 6, verses 27 through 38. It's a long passage, but a really important one. This is where Jesus is talking about how we as Christians are supposed to act. So I'm going to read this long passage, but what I've done for you is, the next slide is going to have bullets to tell you what the important parts are, so you can just kind of listen along, but read the bullets. And when you're thinking about this, I want you to think about the power you use in your life, and do you use it the way Jesus wants us to, or do you use it some other way? Here's God's word. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to people expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked." Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven you. Give, and it will be given. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, how'd you do? Everyone feeling they do all that stuff? If you're like me, there's probably a few on this list that you struggle with, right? Or if you're like me, there's probably all of them on the list you struggle with. So today I want to talk about the power we wield in our life. From our thoughts and our attitudes to our tongue and our actions, I want to talk about how we can go about restraining that power so that we can conform ourselves to Christ as closely as possible. Let me say it another way, something that's not so churchy. I want to talk today about how we can keep ourselves from thinking negatively about other people, from judging their actions, saying words in anger or defensiveness that hurt other people, and taking actions that are unloving, duplicitous, harmful, and malicious. Or how not to be a jerk 101. The first thing we have to recognize is that we actually have power. We can affect those around us, can't we? And who do we affect most, do you think? probably our spouses and our family. The range of power we have is just really impressive. We have the power to encourage or discourage. We have the power to support or oppose. We have the power to love or hate. We have the power to compromise or dig in. We have the power to forgive or hold a grudge. We have the power to build up or tear down. We have the power to reconcile or to fight. We have the power to be content or be angry, jealous, or bitter. And in the extreme, we actually have the power to control ourselves or become physically violent. You see, power cuts both ways. You can wield it for good or evil. And because we tend to follow our emotions and our feelings instead of our savior, we often fail to restrain ourselves from using our power inappropriately. So show of hands, how many of you out there really want to learn how to restrain the power you have in your life to begin to live the life Jesus describes in Luke 6. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. Okay, good, because I was going to leave and you'd be done. We'd go to lunch. There are two important parts to beginning this journey. The first is to accept the fact that in your own strength, you can't do anything. In your own strength, you can't fix this. You have to submit yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit because this type of restraint is not natural. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. The second part you have to commit to today is becoming a Romans 12 Christian. One who is eager to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So everyone take a deep breath right now. Perfect. And tell the Holy Spirit you are ready for him to control your life. So let's take a close look at Romans 12, 2 and learn how we can change our lives. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the first thing God tells us is we have to not conform to the pattern of this world. So what is the pattern of this world? What does that look like when we're wielding our power? The world would tell us, look out for number one, right? Trust nobody. You have the right to be angry or jealous or bitter when people mistreat you. Have boundaries so you don't get hurt. Forgive, but don't ever forget. Do unto others before they do it unto you. You deserve everything you want. Don't deny yourself anything. And fulfillment comes with stuff. The person with the most toys when they die wins. And the best defense is a good offense. Always fight and defend your rights. Now you may notice that all that worldly stuff is in exact opposition to what Jesus tells us. And I shouldn't surprise you. Do you remember who the prince of this world is? Satan. So God tells us not to conform to the pattern of this world. What he's really saying is, do not conform, do not follow, do not be like Satan. Don't do it his way. So are you in a place in your life where you can admit that In some ways, you have conformed to the pattern of this world. Let me tell you where I got this list. This was me. That's how I lived. And uh, I didn't do what Jesus wanted me to do. Instead, uh, I actually had more fun holding the hand of the devil. I just didn't think it would be as fun obeying all the Jesus rules. Maybe some of you are there today. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with that myself. What can I do about it? So Romans 12 says, be transformed. Notice the sentence structure. We are to be transformed, meaning that we are not the actor in this sentence. We are being acted upon. Someone else is doing this to us, and that someone is God. I am thankful for that. Imagine if God came down and said, okay guys, Calvary Baptist, I want you to transform yourselves. Ready, go. We don't look at each other dumbfounded and go, I don't even know where to start. No, it's... It's God that transforms us. We're the direct ob- object in that sentence. We are being transformed. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho. Sounds like metamorphosis. It should. It's the same word. What do you think of when you hear about metamorphosis? Complete change, right? You think of that, that caterpillar to the butterfly. You know, I always hated science. It kind of freaked me out. But God wants us to meta- have a metamorphosis from being worldly to being holy. It's a complete change. I'll tell you what, though. A a complete change can be scary. You know, if you think about your lives for a second, show of hands, anybody really ready, really ready for complete change? We got a winner. (laughs) It is frightening, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But for now, I want you to think about, are there areas in your life that need complete change? Not, not a little dusting off, but metamorphous. And metamorphous so that you can do what Jesus commands you to do. So God's not done with the verse. He tells us this transformation comes from renewing of your mind. What, what in the heck is renewing of your mind? I found this great illustration. There's a Cherokee Indian story that goes like this. A fight is going on inside of me, a grandfather tells his young grandson. A terrible fight between two wolves. One is evil, full of anger and sorrow and regret, greed, self-pity, and false pride. The other is good, full of joy and peace and love and humility and kindness and faith. The same, the same fight is going on inside of you, grandson, and inside every person on this earth. The grandson ponders this for a moment and then asks grandfather, which wolf will win? The old man smiled and simply says, the one you feed. The one you feed. We're doing a study in uh, the Adult Sunday School on Romans 12 with a guy named Chip Ingram. And Chip said exactly the same thing, but in more churchy terms. He said, you are what you eat. If we put worldly stuff in our mind, our minds will gravitate toward worldly stuff. It's pretty simple. If we put godly stuff in our mind, prayer and scripture and Christian books and music and Christian fellowship, then we'll be renewing our mind. Okay, show of hands. How many of you spend more time doing godly things than you do worldly things? Oh, we got a winner. I want to hang out with you. When you think about it, when I think about my life, when I go, okay, am I praying? Am I reading scripture? Am I studying? Am I with Christians? Am I, or am I watching football ESPN ticker, am I I reading other? The scale goes the wrong way. I don't think you can be 100% because then you wouldn't fit in anywhere. But I think we have to balance that out. Didn't Brett teach us once when he was preaching that uh, where we spend our time, our talent, and our treasure shows where our heart is? Romans 12.2 is telling us that we must be in partnership with God if we want this transformation. We have to be willing to meditate on the word night and day. We have to be willing to pray unceasingly, like like scripture tells us to. God's going to do the transforming. But we have to decide which wolf we're going to feed because we are what we eat. I remember when I first committed to submitting myself to God for this type of transformation. Honestly, I was scared to death. I was uh, not doing what Jesus wanted, but my way at least kept me safe. At least I thought it did. See, if I let God transform me, how was I going to be protected in all those insecurities I had? Let me drill down a little bit, because I know I'm not the only one in this sanctuary that has this issue. Life is a contact sport. Every one of us here can tell a story of some trauma or event in their life, That was painful. The lessons we learned from those experiences was that we needed to protect ourselves from having those experiences, right? So in our worldliness, we build defense mechanisms. We we build all sorts of them to keep from getting hurt again. It's natural. One of mine was anger. I learned early on that one of the best things you can do is get angry with people, and then they back off and leave you alone. I also had one where I could harden my heart against anybody and that included family, anybody. Because if I didn't care about them, they couldn't hurt me. So if I thought someone was going to betray me, you were done, like a light switch. See, I used that to protect myself and God's saying, Tom, transform. And I'm saying, wait a minute, are you going to take all this stuff from me that protects me? Are you going to leave me vulnerable and unprotected? In all those very sensitive and raw areas in my life, that resonate with anybody? That kind of, yeah. Let me say it a different way, a little bit more blunt. I didn't trust God. I just flat didn't trust him. I thought after I was transformed, how can He protect me? You know, it sounds crazy, but have you ever read the Bible? How did it go with Job? What happened to the prophets? How did, how did the stories end with all the disciples? Jesus. In a worldly sense, they were hurt, right? So I'm thinking, if God's going to allow that kind of harm to come to His people, why would I want any part of that? That's what I'm trying to avoid, right? This is real stuff, folks. This is what we struggle with trusting God. I know there's some people in here thinking that same thing right now. So let me tell you what I learned. The secret, if you will, of transformation that might help you reach out in partnership with God. Not only will God protect you. Yes, he'll take away some of your defense mechanisms and make you a little vulnerable and transparent, but he'll protect you. But he goes a step further, and this is the cool part. He makes it so you're not fearful anymore. He takes away the fear. You don't need to be protected anymore. This is metamorphosis. This is complete change. This isn't I get to hang on to some of my fears and and just like blindly trust God to not hurt me. This is complete metamorphosis. I can live a life that is not fear-based any longer. God is sufficient. And this is why being transformed through the renewing of your mind, as in Romans 12, is supernatural, not natural. You can't do this. God changes your outlook and instead of seeing the world through your worldly eyes and the pain and the hurt and the fear and the jealousy and the bitterness and the anger and all that, God will let you see the world through his eyes and it will blow your mind. And it will change how you wield your power because you'll start living out the scriptures that currently you read and only wish you could do. The light bulb for me really went on when I came across Philippians 2, 3-5. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, consider others better than yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Before my transformation, those were nice words. A great goal. Boy, I hope someday I can do that. After my transformation, I submitted myself to Jesus, and this verse hit me like the holy two-by-four. God said, Tom, you need to humble yourself. You need to restrain your power. You need to put everyone ahead of yourself. And as I thought about it, I realized that, you know, I really could do that, that Luke 6 thing if I applied the Philippians 2 thing. I can show mercy to people. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. It's like when you're driving and you get a little road rage. The person to cut you off, ooh, they deserve it. It's not giving it to them. That's mercy. I can do that when I consider them better than myself. I can love my enemy if I consider them better than myself. I can turn the other cheek and take an insult if I consider the other person better than myself. I can restrain myself from judging others if I consider them better than myself. I can forgive anyone if I consider them better than myself. I can pray for those who persecute me if I consider them better than myself. I can serve in humility if I consider those I serve better than me. Sound crazy? Big white eyes out there. It has in the adult Sunday school and the Wednesday night study. I've been pounding this on them. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, there's been a little pushback. One person said, well, consider most people better than yourself. Sounds reasonable. Another person said, what about the pedophile or the rapist? Consider them better than yourself? Are you crazy? And their points are valid in a worldly sense, but not in a holy sense. Let me explain. Have you ever noticed that we rank sin? This sin is worse than that sin. And this other sin isn't as bad as that one, and oh and my sins are certainly not been as bad as Ted's. <laughs> That's not how God looks at it. Romans 2:23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We may think that murder is worse than telling a lie, but in God's, eye, God's eyes, it's all sin. It's all rebellion. So why would I think I am better than somebody else because they sin differently than I do? Say that again. Why would I think I am better than somebody else because they sin differently than I do? Is the person that has an affair guiltier than the person who lusts after a woman in his mind but does not commit the act of adultery? Not according to Jesus. Both are equally guilty, right? You see, it's a worldly trap to think about sin in some kind of rank order. It's exactly, however, how Satan wants you to think about it. See, Satan wants you to believe you are better than someone else because your sin life isn't really as bad as that other guy. Satan will use your pride and your arrogance and your hypocrisy to tempt you to sin like judging somebody else because they sin worse than you. Or not loving that other person because, wow, wow. And even transgressing against a person because it's not like you're committing murder or something. Don't be ignorant of this fact. Satan knows, Scripture says, if you judge, you will be judged, and if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And Satan wants you to fail before God. And Scripture tells us he accuses us night and day. And I thank God for Jesus for interceding. He intercedes on our behalf, and he says, we are judged not guilty through his blood. So yes, in the worldly sense, certainly. There are people that seemingly do things we would never do. Yet, like them, I am a dirty cup. I need Jesus every day of my life, every minute of every day. Because I am just like them. I am just like those evil people. Because I sin against God and rebel every day. And that's the key to it. We're all in the same boat. Every knee will bow before Jesus. We are no better than anyone else. We're only saved. And isn't that what we want for everyone? Including the pedophile and the rapist? Don't we want everyone to be transformed through the renewing of their minds so they can consider others better than themselves and no longer conform to the pattern of this world? Don't we want people to find Jesus Christ so they stop following Satan? So what right do we have to use our power against anyone else? What right do I have to be offended? What right do we have to get mad and lash out at somebody? What right do we have to judge somebody else? What right do we have to gossip behind someone's back? What right do we have to tear someone down? What right do we have to sacrifice ourselves? Not sacrifice ourselves for others. What right do we have to hurt somebody else? What right do I have not to love you? I have every right if I conform to the pattern of this world and follow Satan. Now, I'm not going to blow smoke and tell you this is easy because it's not. It is not one of these shabbily new, you're healed kind of things. It's not going to happen like that. It is a process. The renewing of your mind is progressive and happens over time as you start to feed the other wolf. Yet once you agree to submit yourself to God's transformation, your world will change and you will find yourself reacting completely differently than you had previously. You will find that you will use your power for good, for building up, encouraging, for loving, just like Paul says. And you won't use it inappropriately for evil. I began talking this morning about power restrained and what I really mean is power transformed. You see, it's not enough for us to restrain our evil intent, our bad motives, our reactionary emotions. We must be willing to be transformed as closely as possible into the likeness of Jesus so that we don't have anger, we don't have bitterness, we don't have jealousy, we don't have fear, and all the rest of Satan's spiritual fruit. Only when we submit ourselves to God and meet him in partnership can we be transformed into the people... God created us to be. Our motto here at Calvary is uh, becoming disciples who know and live God's will. My challenge for you today is this embrace being a Romans 12 Christian. Read it, it's the one I think is the best book in the Bible. You're going to be a Christian who knows God's good, pleasing, and perfect will by allowing God to transform you through the renewing of your mind, you're going to become a disciple who not only knows, but is willing to live God's will. Then and only then can we say we are following Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen.